We're going to turn in our Bibles to Malachi, and the question we're going to look at today may sound strange, but is God a fair judge? And as I've shared the last um, several weeks, uh, times can get frustrating as we look at um, the news, as we look around us, things can get really frustrated. And you know, when I spend time in study and when I spend time in prayer, I, I really look for answers. I really do, because there are things that we look at and things that we face that are difficult. And there's choices to be made, and as we gathered as a board yesterday and, and discussed things, um, they weren't taken lightly, they weren't just, well, matter-of-factly, they weren't things. And, I, and we've said, even back when uh, we closed our doors for a while, we didn't close the doors because the government said to close the doors. We had closed the doors at that time because the Bible said to obey the government. And so that's what we were doing. They weren't infringing. They weren't saying we couldn't preach Jesus. And I really believe in all this. And this is my personal opinion. And I know that there's opinions on all sides of this. But I really believe that most of the people that we are dealing with or that are making these decisions, at least at our level, are doing them for safety's sake. And I want to say that I know that our board is doing that, which is, you know, right now it's Larry and it's Paul and it's Dale and, and myself, and we come together and we look and we say, well, you know, we, we want to be safe, and I explained a few of those reasons earlier. But the bigger picture is this. We've been going through Malachi, and really the, the theme of what we're going to go through today is about whether God is a fair judge. And sometimes we look and we say, is it fair? And do you know that the Bible never says that life is fair? And I wanted to say that, that we are blessed people. We are sitting here today, and again, my gripe isn't really with the world. And honestly, my gripe isn't with many of you here. But it is with Christians as a whole sometimes, because we have become a people that like to complain and really whine about a lot of things instead of looking and seeing how blessed we are. How many of you would change the situation that you are in today, sitting here, to be living maybe in Kenya, or Germany, or some other place that has no freedoms? How many of you would like to be a resident of China, or North Korea? I don't think many of us would be. We are blessed here. And so when we look at fairness, we could say, well, you know, is it fair that we are living in a land where we are so blessed, where we have freedoms, where we can still come together? Is it fair to the people that are living in North Korea or in China or Japan? The Bible never says that life is fair, but what we look at is to the one who is fair. And we've talked many times in the past several years before this pandemic ever come, when we stop making church about us, and we begin to look at God, 
we will look at things differently. And that's exactly the problem that Israel was having in Malachi. They were, they were making it about something else. They were making it about their polluted offerings. They were making it about their adultery. They were making it about the way that they wanted to live versus what God's word had to say. And unfortunately today, many Christians are making it about, can we gather in the building? Do we got to wear a face mask? You know, can we do this? Can we do that? And we're making it about all the, the things that are around us instead of making it about Jesus Christ. And making it about God and keeping our eyes fixated on Him. Most of us in this, this auditorium today are adults. We can make our decisions. You're going to make your decisions. You don't need us to tell you what to do. You're going to make your decisions. But I would say make it with Christ at the focal point of whatever you are deciding. Bring Him into this. Because we will be judged upon our actions and upon what God has required of us. As believers, we are judged by God's word. We are cleansed by his blood. We are forgiven. We, we're living in a silent age, really, of, of God now. But his grace and his mercy are speaking loudly. And to us who are in America, to us who have all these freedoms, we got to stop complaining about these side things and get people focused on what they really need. And that's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Because when we get all tied up into other things, we're going to miss the fellowship of the body. You know, we can look around the world today. Somebody shared in prayer time. It's a mess. There are churches that are, are rebelling against things. There are churches that are doing what they want to do. There are churches that are making the best effort that they can do. But what we need to do is be accountable to God for what it is that He has called us to do. Our eyes need to be upon Him. Because we can do all the grumbling and complaining just as Israel did to God. And it says that He gets tired of it. Malachi 2.17, when we were there last week, said this, You have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you say, In what way have we wearied him? In that you say, Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or, where is the God of justice? We look at these two verses, and there's another one in, in Isaiah 43.24 that tells us this. You have not brought delicious spices for me or given me the best part of the sacrificed animals. Instead, you burden me down with your terrible sins. He's talking, again, to Israel here, but we can sort of relate to this. What is it that we are bringing to God? What is it that, that God expects of us? Because there are really two sins here that Malachi is going to talk to the people about and he's talking here as we get into chapter 3 he's talking to the political leaders he's going to talk to uh, the leaders of the nation Israel he's going to talk to the priests but all scripture is given that we can glean from these things so there are these two things here is when the people say that there is no difference between right and wrong when people say that there is no difference between right and wrong, that is a sin. As a matter of fact, the, the Bible says when people begin to say that 
good is evil and evil is good. And we live in that time now. We look around and, and he's going to address a couple of things here. He's going to address lifestyles. He's going to address things that we can do in our life. But we call evil good. We call good evil. If you have a church or a person that wants to help out somebody or cares about somebody, so, so they suspend something, they are brought under fire saying, oh, well, they're giving, and they, and they condemn them. Or the other way, if people are rebelling against it and they're going into something and we're calling that evil good, well, that's good, and we cheer them on. The rioters, when we watch this in the news over the last several months, and it gets weary. I can imagine God being weary with it. I'm weary with it. I don't even like to watch the news much anymore. But we watch these rioters go on and we got people cheering them on. We got people that are raising their hands and praising rebellion in the streets. Now there's nothing wrong, again, for standing up for a cause. We have that right. Our, our country has been based on that premise. But we need to be careful that we know the difference between what is right and what is wrong. And when we make coming to church about this or that, we need to be careful. Because if we're making it about a mask or not wearing a mask, if we're making it about uh, the six-foot rule or this rule, if we're making it about the government or, you know, that other thing, we're doing it wrong. That's why I said we don't obey the government just because the government says to, that we need to obey them. We obey the government in areas when the Bible tells us that we need to be subject to the authorities that rule over us because all authority has been placed by God over us. And you and I, we can search through the scriptures and we can cherry pick whatever we want out of the Bible to justify our point. We can do that. But we need to be very clear that as God speaks to us, that we need to be knowing the difference between what is right and what is wrong. we got to make sure that we're not calling good evil and evil good. The second thing is that the people of Israel were saying that God is not a fair judge. And we may say that also in our life. Is God fair? I've been a Christian for, for a lot of years. I've seen a lot of things that I don't understand. I've seen a lot of things even that I don't agree with. But I understand that if God and I are at conflict about things, and that happens, if you're an honest Christian, that happens. I understand that I'm wrong and he's right. I don't always think it's fair when a, a child dies before his parent. It, it's just not natural. It doesn't seem right doesn't seem fair does it it's not fair when we pray for this young gal Katie 14 years old why does she need to suffer through this why is her family going through all this turmoil I don't know you don't know I don't think any of us knows it doesn't seem fair and we may ask that question is God a fair judge is God fair about these things why is it that sometimes the evil People seem to prosper, and those that are trying to live so righteous struggle so hard. It doesn't seem fair. 
Why was I born in that, that little gap that didn't get drafted, but Pat was in a time when he got drafted? For some, they may say, that's not fair. But see, we live in a broken world. If we're looking at the circumstances all the time, none of it makes sense. None of it makes sense, and we're going to be distracted all the time. We're always distracted by looking at others. When you take driver's education, one of the things they tell you is you don't just look at the car ahead of you, you look at a, a couple cars ahead of you, and you keep your eyes on the road. I'm terrible at this, by the way, because when it's, I see deer, I'm looking. Have you ever done that? And all of a sudden you're like, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Sometimes the cell phone comes out. And I'm just going to read this quick and, you know. That's the way it is with our spiritual life, too. Jesus tells us, keep your eyes on him. Follow him. Follow his word. God is telling this to, to Israel, put your eyes on me. Ours is not to question fair because the Bible has never said life is going to be fair. We are blessed. As an American, we are blessed. If you don't leave this place today believing that you're blessed, there's something wrong with you. Stop looking at what is wrong around us and start looking at how God has blessed us where we're at. And get your eyes focused on Him and look for the opportunities to point people towards Him. When we make it about a building, if we make it about a gathering, what if we lived in China and we couldn't gather like this? You'd trade your eye teeth to say, I'd love to go back to America and I'll wear a mask, I'll wear a blindfold, I'll wear a suit and a dress if I have to, if I could worship together and have the fellowship that we have here. And they're sneaking underground, meeting in attics, meeting out in the woods. We are blessed. We need to get our eyes back on Jesus. Because God is a fair judge. Not of circumstances of a broken world, because we live in a broken world. We live in a sinful world. But really the problem here with Israel is that they are saying that there is no God. That God's not even really involved. And there's many that come to churches. That will fill churches this morning. And they may sing the praises. They may sing the songs. I mean, we sang some, some beautiful songs this morning. My challenge is always, do you read the words? Are you singing this in a worshipful way? Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Do we believe that when we act the way that we do sometimes as Christians? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I've been lifted up out of the mires of, of the pits of hell and I've been set on a place where Christ can use me and he's revealed his grace and mercy to me. And here's Israel saying, there is no God. See, their problem was that Zechariah had made a, a promise like 50 years earlier, but nothing had seemed to happen. We see the promises of God in the word and, and we say, why is God so slow to... to Justice, why is he so slow in these things? But Malachi is telling us something is going to happen. Something will happen. And that's when we come into verse 3. And it's about the coming messenger. 
And so he says, you're not following me. You're giving me these polluted offerings. You're not giving me the, the best of what you have, as, as we read here. You're not giving me the best of the parts of the sacrificed animals. But instead, you're burdening me down with your terrible sins. You're wearing me out, and in, in, again, in Malachi 2.7, by doing evil in the sight of the Lord. You have wearied the Lord with your words. I believe God wants to see action. Ephesians 6 tells us about the armor of God. Put on the armor of God. That's an action, right? You got up this morning, you needed to put on a shirt. You needed to put on your clothing. You needed to put on whatever it is that, that you did to get ready to come today. God tells us that spiritually we need to put on the armor of God. Get ready for the battle that is ahead. Later, Malachi is going to say that there's a real difference between right and wrong. The 16th and 17th verse, we're not going to get that far today. But it's in the book of remembrance. And he says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was given before him for those who fear the Lord and those who meditate on his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. On that day I will make them my jewels. Why are we getting so consumed with the weeds in the ditch? When Jesus has given us the promise saying we're going to be his jewels. And he says, I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. When we get our eyes off of Christ, when we get our eyes off of God and we start doing our own thing and our own agenda, what does the Bible say? There's a way that seems right unto a man, but its end is death, its end is destruction. When we get our eyes off of God, we are no longer serving him, but we're serving self. If we make coming to church just about the gathering, we're not serving God. We're serving self. If we say we're going to come uh, because of this, or we're not going to come because we have to do this, we've made it about ourselves, And it's not about Him. Malachi is saying, look to the Lord. Look to the Lord. I have a messenger that is coming. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. God is saying, look at me. Look at me. Don't, don't wallow in the circumstance right here. Look at me. I've had the fortune or the unfortunate to get my truck stuck a couple different times because I go places I shouldn't. And I could get out and I could look at that mud puddle and I could look at the, the mess that's around and say, I'm never going to get out. And do I just lay down here and die? No, I begin to look around. What are the options? What is it that I can do? 
We look for a way out. And for us as Christians, God is always our way out. For a lost world, God is that answer. He is the way out of that lostness. God says, look at me. And he says, I'm sending Malachi. We're in the book of Malachi. I'm going to send Malachi, which is a Hebrew word that means my messenger or a person who brings my message. Each of us here today can be a Malachi, can be a person that brings a message to a people that needs to hear it. That's what God wants us to do. And God is telling us when the the preparations are complete, he says, the Lord will suddenly come to his temple. Suddenly he's going to be there, and it's going to happen. And when we usually hear this, suddenly it means sometimes it's not always a a pleasant experience. Because I was driving along fine, and then suddenly I was in the ditch. Suddenly I was in a mud hole. Why? Because I took my eyes off the Lord. I've dealt with prisoners 30 years plus. And many times when I talk with them and I've seen them come back, I got people that I had almost 30 years ago in juvenile prison that are coming through the adult prison. Hey, Chapel Linger, how you doing? I'm doing better than you. What are you doing back here? Well, and they'll give you the story. I got involved with this. I did this. Well, but you were doing so well. You were involved with church. You were involved with this. Got my eyes off of the things that were important. Got my eyes back on the drug. Got my eyes back on the things of the world. Suddenly, like that, we find ourselves somewhere we don't want to be. Verses 2 through 5, they sort of agree with that idea. We think of what Jesus did in the temple. Remember when he went in and he cleared the temple because they were doing things that were unholy. Their behavior was unholy. And God went in and cleaned the temple. God is preparing to do that through Malachi. He's he's telling Israel, you need to clean house. You need to get it right. You need to to get these foreign gods, these other things off. And you need to look at me. You need to follow me. Malachi 3.2 But who can endure the day of his coming? Nobody can. The only thing that's going to endure the day of his coming is because we are saved. We have been bought by Christ if we know him as our personal Savior. Who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? We have an arrogant world that just says, you know, we can stand before God. We've listened now for two chapters of of Israel sort of arguing with God. In what ways have we done that? In what ways have we done that? But he says, when he comes, we're not going to stand before him. We're going to kneel before him. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And, And it says here, for he is a refiner fire. In a launder of soap, he will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi. He says, you're doing things wrong now, but a time's coming. And you're going to go through it. And we're going to purge these things out. 
and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering of righteousness. Everything God does is to bring us back to that point of righteousness with him. And this refiner's fire is really taking the impurities, taking the garbage, the dirt, out of the silver and gold. And what does God say in, in verse 17? You're going to be the jewels. Get those impurities away. When the Lord comes to his temple, five things are going to happen. At least five things are going to happen that I've studied out. Nobody's going to be able to stay or remain in the temple. Nobody will be able to stand. Everybody is going to fall down. He's going to burn away the dirt in everybody that makes them unholy. And so he's doing this refining stuff. And it will be like soap and water that he's going to cleanse us. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. His desire for us is to be cleansed and to be tools used of him. It's that fire that burns the dirt away. Verse 4 and 5. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord. He says, up to this time, it's been a stench in my nostrils. And I want us each to look at our lives and say, what is your life to God? Now listen, you're very precious to him. He's bought you with a price. Jesus came and died for your sins. You're valuable to him. But what is your offering to him? Is your offering that polluted, that sick cow? Is your, your offering that leftover stuff? Or is it the finest and the best of what he wants from you? He says, I will come near you for judgment. I will be swift witness against sorcerers, against adulterers, against perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans, and against those who turn away an alien because they do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. It says that God is going to be both a witness and a judge, and he's the only one that is qualified to be both that witness and that judge. The judge, for sure, the world can see us. The world witnesses what's most important to us. You can sit down with somebody and probably in a 10-minute conversation, you can probably find out what's most important in their life just by listening to most people. But it says, then the people will know that there is a fair God. Because of God, there is no partiality. God never changes. So he says, I will come near to you. I will be your judge, and I will be a witness who opposes. I'm so glad that I'm not going to be the judge of anybody. Because I can judge on a lot of things. I can judge on emotions. I can judge sometimes. Have you ever received a text from somebody, and you sort of read it one way, and it's like, well, what is their problem? But then you meet that person, and they sort of explain the text. It was like, well, that wasn't that way at all. Or an email, or something. We judge on a lot of things. I could have woke up crabby this morning and somebody says something, I just take it the wrong way because of my mood. Be thankful I'm not your judge. 
But God is a judge, and he's going to be a fair judge, and he's a fair witness. Because he witnesses things without partiality. He witnesses things based on righteousness because he is right. He, he witnesses those things and he judges those things based on his righteousness, which is pure and without any sin. So he says, I'm going to judge this. I'm going to judge all the people that dabble in magic. They use different words in, in here, but sorcerers, magicians, the occult, horoscopes. I'm going to judge all those people that dabble in magic. I'm going to judge the adulterers. Basically, people sleeping with other people than their spouse. I'm going to judge those people. Those that lie. Those who cheat their employees. They don't pay them a fair wage. The people that are unkind to widows and orphans. Because the New Testament says true religion is this. Those that take care of widows and orphans in their need. People that are not fair to foreigners. In that time, it was those that are passing through that had a need. Have you helped those people out? And he says, I will be a witness and a judge to those who do not respect me. Are we respecting God in our life? This is what the Lord of everything says. Because our God is the God of everything, He's the Lord of everything. He is sovereign. He is at work behind the scenes of everything that goes on. And so when they talk about the Lord of hosts, the host means everything. He is the Lord of everything. And this is what he says. For I am the Lord, I do not change. See, some of us change on a daily basis, maybe on an hourly basis, based upon something that's happening, something that's going on in our life. He says, For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob, that from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, In what way shall we return to you? They are still fighting God. They are still arguing with God. Because I, the Lord, never change, therefore nobody has destroyed you. God says, I have kept you, O remnant of Jacob, O remnant of Israel. And by the way, there's always been a remnant. There's never been the, the complete nation as a whole obedient to Christ. That's coming in the future. But he's talking to the Jewish people. And he says, from the time of your fathers, you have refused to obey my laws. We are a rebellious people. By nature. If anything fights us in our relationship with God, it's our rebelliousness to submit to Him and to submit to His Word and to sit, submit to His ways. He says, You have not observed my laws. Now you can say, well, We're in the New Testament now, we're not, you know, strung into the laws. That's right. We're strung into much more than that. We're strung into Jesus Christ. But He's saying, You were purposefully walking against my ways. You were purposely violating the things that I had given to you. And by the way, through the words of Jesus, he has given many things to us. But they still say, how shall we return? Some Bible students translate this verse this way. It says, 
But I, the Lord, never change, and you are still the sons of Jacob. And here, some people believe, and it, it sort of makes sense, if you know the story of Jacob. The sons of Jacob means that they were maybe like Jacob. And what did Jacob do? He cheated his brother Esau for the blessing, right? Genesis chapter 27. This isn't a compliment to Israel. This is them looking at things. They understood what God was saying. But they still wanted to argue with him. Because this is really including this idea, in Malachi anyways, that the idea is that the Jews were cheating God. They were cheating God of time. They were cheating God of their sacrifices. They were cheating God of their obedience. And has anything changed yet today? with people that are bought by the price of Christ. In verse 7, the words of Zechariah 1.3, Return to me, says the Lord of everything, then I will return to you, says the Lord of everything, or the Lord of hosts. That's repentance. God isn't saying you need to do it in your works and in your power and in your might. He says you need to come to a, a point of repentance. You need to say, I've made it all about me. I'm not following you. I'm putting all these things before you, God. And I know that you're a jealous God and that you want to be first in my life. And it's only by the power of Christ that we can achieve that in our life. But here's the problem. The Jews didn't really think they had done anything wrong. And as we look around America today and as we look around the world today, there's many people calling themselves Christians that are living in rebellion. They're living in sin. They're living contrary to God's word and God's purpose and God's call. And they don't think they've done anything wrong. And so they really say, what is there to return from? I'm okay, you're okay. Their question may really mean this, we will not return. We like where we're at. We like doing what we're doing. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. That's what he requires of us to do. To have a humble and contrite spirit. Stop making everything about yourself or about this or about that. Stop complaining about the weeds in the garden and see the produce that is growing. That's from personal experience. We've got weeds in our garden. But I can go out there and look and I can find some beautiful produce. If you look for weeds, you're always going to find weeds. You're going to be distracted and you're going to miss the beauty of what God is doing. If you make fellowship in Christ about something other than Christ, you've fallen short. And so when he says, return to me, he's saying repent of your ways. Change of heart, change of mind, change of direction. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things that I've made it because it's all about you. That's a song we sing once in a while. Because it's all about you. I'm sorry, God, for the things I have made it. I pray, and I'll ask your prayers for grace in my life because I get so frustrated with other Christians that are making it about themselves. 
that have made this bump in the road, and I call it a bump in the road, it seems big when you're in it, right? When, when we go through something, I mean, it, it's, it's a crisis when we're in it. But I'm so tired of people making it about this thing, and that thing, and myself, and this and that. Keep your eyes focused on Christ. He's the one that we need to follow. We act as though God has been taken by surprise. We talk as though God doesn't know what he's doing. And we ask the question, is God fair? Is this, this? No. God tells us this. Get up in the morning. Go to him in prayer. Thank him for the day that he's given you. Get dressed in the armor of God and go out and do battle. Let him lead you where you need to go. He will give you those opportunities. And when we reach the end of the day, we enter into prayer. And we can be in prayer throughout the day too. But at the end of the day, we can thank God for the day that he's given us, the opportunities that he has provided for us, and the blessings of the things that have happened to us through that day. Are you able to do that? He has empowered us to do that. He has called us to do that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again, Lord, for your mightiness and your power. We thank you for your sovereignty that, that you are in control of all these things. Lord, help us to get our eyes off the things that distract. Help us to keep our eyes on you as we sit here today in fellowship in your church as we're worshiping you in song and in prayer and in testimony and in message it's about you it's not about a mask it's not about a, a, a politician it's not about a democrat it's not about a republican it's not about a virus or a sickness it's about you. We've come together for you. Help us to live that life. Help us to see those things. Help us to walk that way. And I ask these things in Jesus' most precious name. Amen.